Yes, sir. Welcome to the first episode of Believe in FSU Basketball. I am your host, Nick Andre, and I appreciate you guys for listening in. Um, for those who may not know me or may not be familiar with me, let me give you guys a brief introduction of myself. I am a basketball writer, analyst, podcaster, and have been covering hoops for six years now, and I could talk NBA, WNBA, college, both men and women's, high school, you name it. Um, like I said, I've been doing this for about six years. This is actually my first season covering Florida State basketball, both men's and women's, for um, for a website called Chop Chat, which is affiliated with Fansided. And I must say, it's been a really great journey. Um, it's been a fun journey, you know, being able to watch these teams um, throughout the season. I know that they both have had their ups and downs, especially the men's, but you know, I've been really excited to really watch these teams on the journey, being able to watch them up close. I've had easy access to the team, you know, being able to go to multiple games. And, you know, I'm really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, you know, so far this season. And I'm, I'm really excited, you know, for what's to come for both of these teams. Um, so in this first episode, I wanted to kind of take a deep dive into both teams, talk about a lot of the strengths, a lot of the weaknesses, and a lot of important players on both teams and how much of an impact they've made you know, throughout, throughout their journey. First, we'll start with the men's team. Um, recently just lost to Clemson Saturday night in a 74 to 63 loss, which means that now they stand at 14 to 13. Now exactly 500 at eight and eight in the ACC. They rank top 10 in offense at 76 points per game. And they rank number 12 in defense. Um, I know that a lot of people, they have a lot of complaints with the men's team. Uh, but one thing that you can say is that this is this season compared to last season has been a vast improvement. Last year, they finished with a 9-23 record, and they dealt with a lot of injuries, a lot of different lineup rotations, and you can just see that that they didn't necessarily have a feel for the team, you know, with so many different adjustments, with so many different lineup rotations, you know, dealing with so many injuries. You know, like this team just could not catch a break as far as really trying to figure things out. So it was definitely a disappointing season, to say the least, but – and even though this year, you know, they have had their ups and downs, it has definitely been an improvement, and we've seen it on the court. Uh, this team is really great in transition on offense. Um, they had a, they got a lot of guys, you know, who can attack the basket. They lot of they they have a very versatile bigs who can play in the pick and roll, and just you know, and also be able to score from outside. And then they have great wing shooters as well who can come off of pin downs, who can come off of off ball screens, and just being able to score in transition. So that's one thing that I could say about Florida State this year is that. When they when they do get a defensive rebound and they are pushing the ball, they are slow. They are hard to beat because it doesn't allow the opposing teams to really get set in their half court offense, especially with the speed and agility and agility that this team has. You know, they can score within six, seven, eight seconds, you know, like, you know, on the shot clock. So that's something that's really been impressive for them. And I'm not saying that their half that their half court offense hasn't been great because I personally believe that it has improved throughout the season. I think at the beginning, you know, it was kind of a it was kind of a struggle. It was, it was, it was really just trying to really create a feeling, trying to figure out, you know, where players can be and how they can really get movement going in their offense. But once they were able to do that, you know, they were really like, they were, they were able to get off to the races. Um, defensively, they're super versatile, you know, especially with their bigs being able to switch one through five. And that's one thing that we've seen a lot though. They play a lot of man. Uh, they do a lot of switching. Um, they'll run zone here and there and, I honestly wish that they would have ran more zone in that Clemson game because especially with Clemson being a team that loves, that loves to dump the ball down inside and really score, you know, high percentage shots inside. I really feel like it would have been better for that team to run more, one more zone, more, more zone coverage than, you know, than their, than their men's, uh, than their man coverage. But at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. And I, I can understand why coach Hamilton wants to do that is because, you know, when you have guys like, Cam Core and like Deontay Green, like Baba Miller, who have that ability to just be able to being able to not even like defend inside the paint, but just but just being able to step outside. You know, I think that's really impressive. So I love the fact that Coach Ham has been able to utilize his guys to the maximum potential on defense. Um, but let's dive into a few of the players, man, that I believe that have been really important to the team. Uh, first, I'll start with Deontay Green. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, he's a very versatile defender, but Deontay Green has a really high IQ for basketball. And the reason why I say that is because he understands where to be in the right spots at the right time. He knows how to make right reads, especially especially when he catches the ball in a high post. He's a really really good player, and he's he's shown a lot of versatility on a lot of versatility on, on offense. Um, he's able to score inside. He could play in the pick and pop. He could play in the pick and roll, and he's been really really good. You know, I know his numbers don't necessarily stand out, but Deontay has been really good 
when it comes to just, you know, making the right plays on offense. And I think that's part of the reason why Coach Hammond started him in a few games, especially when Kim Corn was out. And that's the reason why he's a part of the rotation is just because he he just does a lot of great things on the floor that add to winning. So give kudos to Deontay on a really good season, man. Um, you know, it's been a really good year for him. And, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, what happens next for him moving forward. The next player that I want to talk about is Mr. Jalen Ganey, who – in my opinion, provides a big spark off the bench for uh, for Florida State, for Leonard, Leonard Hamilton's team. Um, Seminole fans and in the coaching staff, they were they have been awaiting for Jalen Ganey to make his presence known on this team. Um, he he transferred to the uh, to the program last year. Unfortunately, wasn't able to play at all last season with the injury. But this is a guy like this is a former Ivy League defensive player of the year. And I believe that his presence on the interior have been really, really important on defense. You know, he's active, you know, he's really engaged, you know, really being able to uh, protect the basket. And also something that really stood out to me. And I remember this when Florida state played Notre Dame earlier this year, uh, just his ability to step outside, because even though a lot of the other guys like Cam Corn and Baba Miller and those guys, you know, they are able to switch and they are able to step out be, uh, beyond the paint and be able to defend. But that wasn't really something that, that Jalen Ganey was known for. So, the fact that he has been able to do that a little bit, I'm not I'm not going to say that we've seen a lot of it, but we've seen like small glimpses of it. The fact that he's been able to do that and hold his own has been really impressive. And I know that coming back from his knee injury, you know, you could tell, especially early in the season, you know, he was still trying to find a rhythm. You know, he was still trying to really find some mobility coming off of that injury. But I think slowly as the season has progressed, he has been able to show more movement. He has been able to show a little bit more mobility. And I think that's why he's really been an asset on defense. In our offense, you know, he's able to he's able to uh, get the ball inside. You know, you could, you could throw in an entry pass to him inside, and he'll be able to score. You know, he's not going to be able to score a lot of points. He may not get a lot of touches, but anytime he can get the ball inside, you know, he does make the most of his um, – he does make the most of his um, opportunities. So, Jalen Ganey is another important piece on this team for Florida State. I'm definitely happy that he's, that he's back playing this year and – I'm sure Leonard Hamilton and I'm sure that the rest of the team have really appreciated his presence throughout the season. Taylor Bo Bowen has been impressive in his freshman season. Um, and one thing that I could say is that I've, I've talked to a few people who cover Florida state and a lot of the fans and they were able to see him throughout high school and they knew what he could bring to the table. But I think some people question how he would fit with this team. You know, would he get a lot of time in the rotation and would he be a valuable asset to this team? And I think at the beginning of the year, you know, he 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 had some good flashes, but it took him a little while to really create a feel. And and that's and that's honestly that's honestly not a bad thing. You know, that's not a knock to him because, you know, obviously transitioning from high school play to the college level is not an easy adjustment for a lot of players. And Taylor Bowen, he wasn't necessarily like a five-star player by any means, but he's still a good player. You know, he was a four-star coming out of um, coming out of high school, and I think that it was the right situation for him to go to Florida State and play for Leonard Hamilton, who is a guy who's going to play by committee and he's going to utilize a lot of his guys to their maximum potential. But I think one thing that I could say is throughout conference play, throughout ACC play, I think we've seen the best of Taylor Bowen. No, he's not necessarily a scorer. He may not, his numbers may not stand out in the box score, but he does a lot of good things to me. You know, he's a great spot of shooter whenever he can, you know, so obviously with him being one of the bigs, he has that ability to space the floor. Defensively, he he really gives a lot of effort, you know, with a shot block. And in on top of that, you know, he's, he's another guy who can step outside and guard smaller players. And on top of that, he's a really good ball handler as well. Uh, so he shows that versatility. And I hope that we can see more of that, as his, as his future progresses as a seminal, can Leonard, can Leonard Hamilton allow him to utilize him? And he could possibly be a good playmaker as well for this team. So Taylor Bull Bowen has been really good. Um, and it's been a slow progression for him, but he has shown flashes that he, he deserves to be a part of this rotation. And when he is on the floor, he definitely is a plus. Um, now I know that he can lack a little bit of size. So when he go, when he's going up against other physical bigs, he can struggle but him having that length, him having that athleticism and that agility has definitely helped him along the way. So I've loved what Taylor Bowen has, has produced throughout this season as a freshman. Like I say, you know, it has been a slow start for him, but as conference play has continued, he has shown his, his true value to this team. 
Cam Corn. Um, I love I love this guy, man. I really love this guy. And I've I've been on record saying all season long that Cam is deserving to be the starting center for Florida State. And the reason why I say that is because I think he's the one guy on his team that doesn't shy away from physicality. He doesn't mind banging down low. He doesn't mind, you know, being physical underneath the basket. He's very – he has terrific footwork. He can play in the pick and roll. Um, and he's, he's honestly shown the ability to step outside and step outside and knock down mid-range shots. Um, and early on in the season, his presence was very important, especially when Florida State got off to a 4-1 to a start. And then he ended up going down with uh, – I believe it was a toe injury like uh, late November, early December – and you could tell that this team missed his presence. They missed his presence like tremendously because that's when they went on that four-game losing streak where they lost to where they lost to Georgia, they lost to North Carolina, they lost to SMU, and they they ended up they ended non-conference play on a bad note. It really wasn't impressive. They didn't really have a good December at all, to say the least. But once Cam came back, it was a big difference, and that was part of the reason why they got off to a great start in ACC play. They won the first five games in ACC play. And the game that stands out to me for Cam was when Florida State went down to Miami to play to play the Hurricanes, and they could have not gotten that win without his presence. Um, with him just cleaning up the glass, him just being able to be him just being able to score inside. He shot seven for seven from the field in that game, and they were all just paint touches. Him being able to play in the pick and roll next to a Jalen Worley, next to a Jameer Watkins, and. He he played a huge role, and on top of that, defensively, you know, being physical with the other base of, of Miami inside, you know, being able to show his presence underneath the basket was really impressive. So Cam, that's why I believe Cam should be the starting center for this team because when he is on the floor, he's definitely a positive, but he brings such a different dynamic on both ends of the floor to Florida State really needs. And I know that we, I know that this team has a lot of a lot of like a lot of versatile players, but Cam Corn is definitely the guy that that needs to be in that starting center spot for Florida state move forward. So I know that coach Hamilton has, has tried different lineups, has tried different rotations, but if you ask me, there's no question that Cam corner deserves to be in that starting center spot for Florida state. Now let's talk about Baba Miller um, sophomore year. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Florida state fans know the journey of Baba as a Seminole uh, missed the first uh, 16 games last season before he made his debut in January, I believe it was um, due to, I want to say it was due to the like NCAA rules. I'll have to look more deeper into it. But one thing that I can say about Baba is I think we have yet to see the best of him. And one thing that I'll say is that he's super talented. He's really, 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 really talented as a big. And I feel like if he's utilized correctly, he could be one of the best players in the country. That may be a reach to a lot of people, but I feel like he has that ability to be that type of player, just that dominant all-around player. Uh, I remember going to one of the Seminoles' exhibition games against Flagler, and I just saw his ability to just bring the ball up the court on offense, just being able to play me, just being able to set other guys up, running the dribble handoff, being able to set solid screens for whether it's Jameer Watkins or, Jaren, or Darren Green Jr., Baba just has that ability to just do a lot of things. He can score inside. Uh, he's he's actually improved, in my opinion, as a low post scorer. And I think one thing that makes him such like such a good low post scorer is when he does get the ball on a high block or on a low block, he's very patient. He reads the defense, so he doesn't he doesn't necessarily react right away. You know, he'll scan the floor and he'll make a decision for then on out. Hey, should he make a pass to the wing or? Should he kick it back out to the top of the key? Or can he find a way to maneuver through his defender and be able to find a way inside? Or or can he find somebody cutting baseline or cutting or making a back door cut to the rim? So, like, his patience in understanding how to make the right play in the post has been really impressive. Um, he had a career-high 14 points, I believe, about a few weeks ago against Wake Forest. Um, so, like I said, um, we I think we have still have yet to see the best of Baba. And it honestly kind of makes me question sometimes, is Florida State the right situation for him? Because Coach Ham loves to play by committee. He's not necessarily a guy that wants one guy to shine. Like he's gonna have everybody shine. And that's that's been his formula, uh, that's been his formula to success for however many years he's been coaching this program. 
So now if Baba was on a different program, would he be able to get that opportunity to really dominate? Possibly so. But also at the same time, I think that he's happy with his role at Florida State. Um, and I know that I want to see more out of him. But one thing that I can say is Baba's presence has definitely impacted this team as a whole, man. So he didn't really get a chance to really shine last year due to the NCAA rules. But now being fully healthy and now being available this year, he's been really valuable to this team throughout the season. Now that I've taken a small dive into a lot of the front court players, now I want to dive into the guards and the wings because their value has just been just as just as exceptional as other guys. First, I'll start with Primo Spears, um, one of my personal favorites as well. And I've like I, I I really couldn't wait for Primo to make his debut with this team. Uh, he transferred last season out of Georgetown, but wasn't able to play due to NCAA rules once again. So he missed the first 16 games. I want to say ended up making his debut um, towards the end of uh, towards the end of uh, December. And I'll be real, his first game he shot two for 14 from the field, which is just disgusting. But Primo, even though he shot the ball poorly, you know he showed some great attributes. You know he showed the ability. And I'll say this, he he is by far the best shot creator on the team. And this is a Florida State team that struggles to really score on the perimeter. But once you added a guy like Primo Spears into the into the rotation, I think that definitely made the team a lot better. Uh, he's not necessarily a big threat from three-point range, even though he has shown a lot of improvements as a recent, but he is terrific in the mid-range, especially, you know, with him having the ball in his hands, being able to come off of a high ball screen, and just being able to elevate before that defense be before that defense is able to uh, defend him in that drop coverage, like he's really good and you know his his scoring has been a big punch for the team. Um, they haven't really been like huge scoring performances. Like he hasn't had like twenty point performances or thirty point performances. But at the end of the day, he's also coming off the bench as well, so he's ta- he's making the most of his opportunities being a part of the second unit. But I think that him being a big scoring punch off the uh, off the bench because obviously the top scorers on his team have been a Jameer Wiggins and I've been Derrick Green Jr. But now you add Primo Spears into that mix, it definitely has elevated the team on offense. Now there there's still are there there's still some struggles because he is kind of a streaky shooter in a way. You know, he has had performances where, like I said, you know, the, like the two for 14 game, he has had other shooting performances like that. Not not as bad as that first game that he played, but he has had his moments where he hasn't been as efficient offensively. But you still want to put the ball in his hands because you just never know what he'll what he'll be able to bring as far as scoring wise. But also another thing is that people have to people also have the credit primo for being a good playmaker too. Um, there's been a lot of plays where he'll run baseline and then he'll kick it out to an open shooter, or he'll play pick and roll with a guy like a Cam Corn or Deontay Green or whoever it is. So primo has also been able to show his show his value as a playmaker as well because I think that's what people wanted to see early on because we all knew that he could score the ball, but what else could he bring to the table besides just putting the ball in the hole? So him being able to show his playmaking skills has been very, very important. And also defensively. Um, I remember um, a few weeks ago when I was watching the game against Virginia Tech, and he was really good in the passing lanes. He was really good at slowing down pick and rolls, pick and roll coverages for uh, for the opposing team. So I'm glad to see Primo finally getting a feel. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it just took maybe it just took him some time to really get into a rhythm because, you know, obviously missing those first 16, 17 games on the year is really rough to just kind of come into the mix midway, th- midway through the season, especially, especially at that time when Florida state was struggling and they were really trying to figure out how to turn things around. So I think that it was hard for him, but once he was able to really find his rhythm and really create a feel for the game, that's when we started, that's when we started to see the best out of Primo Spears. So I'm really happy to see his progression. I know that recently, you know, he hasn't had big scoring performances, um, throughout the past, like maybe three or four games, but Primo has been a really big punch off the bench for Florida State this year. Now let's talk about Josh Nickelberry for the team. Another great sensational guard. Um, I think him and Primo being a great back backcourt, excuse me, in that second unit has been really, really good. Um, Josh Nickelberry has been available all year, you know, so give credit to his availability. Um, like I said, you know, his his numbers may not stand out as well, but. Also, at the same time, you know, one thing about him and, you know, just me just me watching damn near every game this year, he makes a lot of timely baskets. You know, when Florida State gets into a funk and the other team may go on a run and they may snatch momentum, I don't know. It's just it seems like 
the ball finds its way to Josh Nickelberry, and he just knows how to hit a big shot, whether it's a big three-point shot, whether it's him, you know, driving the lane or him, you know, being able to knock down a pull-up shot. He makes a lot of big shots, big timely baskets, in my opinion, that seems to get Florida State back on the right track. So I don't know if people really notice that with him, but that's something that I really notice is that whenever this team goes on, like goes into a funk and they may not be playing the most efficient, it seems like the ball just finds its way to Josh Nickelberry and he just hits a big shot to just kind of reel things back into place. So Josh Nickelberry has been a, a very important asset to this team as well. Chandler Jackson is a dog. He's hard-nosed. He's rugged. He's not afraid of being physical. He's not afraid of being just a big contributor on both ends of the floor. In his last six games, he's had three double-digit scoring performances, which include a 19-point outing and a win over Boston College this past week, which, in fact, he did start while Darren Green did was sideline that game. Uh, Chandler Jackson, he's been a huge asset, asset to the team, especially offensively. And I think he may be one of the more underrated offensive players on this team. You know, he's shown that, that ability to attack the basket. He's shown that ability to score pull-up in the mid-range. Um, and he's and he's good at being a spot-up shooter as well. You know, like, when you're playing in a lineup next to guys like Jameer, next to guys like Darren Green Jr., next to guys like Bob Bob Miller, next to guys like Primo Spears and just so many other guys, Jalen Worley as well. Like, when you're playing in lineups next to those guys, you have to anticipate being able to knock down big shots in that's something that Chandler Jackson has been able to do. And when Cameron Fletcher went down in that game against North Carolina in early December, I knew that Chandler had to step up his play. And I feel like with his ability to just be active on both ends of the floor, I knew that his presence was going to be like definitely more valuable with Cameron going down th- uh, for the rest of the season. So give credit to Chandler Jackson, man. He's been one of the more important players as well to this team. Um, and just him elevating his offense has been really big for them as well. Now we're getting down to the two best players in my eyes of this Florida State team. Uh, first, I will start with Darren Green Jr. Um, this is his second year at Florida State after playing at UCF for, I believe, three years before transferring last year. Had a really good season last year, um, and has been a great shooter throughout his career. He's shooting a career 38% from three-point range. And I know that it, um, I mentioned Primo Spears as – the best shot creator on this team. But when it comes to pure shooting, Darren Green is by far the best shooter on this team. And it's not close. Um, he's really good. I love the way that he, the way that he can run baseline. And, you know, next, you know, you know, you come off of a Deontay Green screen, or you may come off of a Cam Corn screen or a Baba Miller screen. And it, it allows him to get free on the wing. And that, that's really where he's dangerous at is on the wing. He's a great, uh, He's a really good um, corner shooter as well, but he is super dangerous on the wing. And that's that's where the defense has to always keep themselves around at whenever he does catch the ball from that area. Um, and even though he's really good on the catch and shoot, I still think that he can make some improvements, you know, being able to score off the bounce, off the dribble, because I feel like that's an area that he's not really at his best at. Even though recently he has shown some improvements, as a score off the dribble, but that hasn't really been a strong suit throughout his college career and definitely throughout this season with uh, with Florida State. And another thing that I, I see with Darren, and it, it, it really upsets me in a way because one thing that he does is that he'll catch the ball, you know, coming off of that baseline or just, you know, being able to move without the ball. He'll catch the ball and he'll he'll catch the ball and he'll look to shoot it, but then he sees a, but then he sees a, a defender coming to try to contest it. And I get it, you know, I love the pump faking because he does have his pump fakes where um where he'll pump fake the ball and then he'll and then he'll um and then he'll regather himself in the shoot. But I I'm not a fan of it because it takes him out of rhythm in a way. You know, like when once he catches the ball and then he just releases it like that, that's where he's dangerous. And because he's in rhythm. You know, you catch the ball and you have one motion. You catch the ball coming off of coming off the pin down and then you shoot it. But once you do catch the ball, and then now next you know, okay, cool, I'm going to pump fake, and then I'm going to regather myself and then shoot it, you're coming out of rhythm. Like, I think he has to be – he has to always be in one motion, in my opinion, when it comes to shooting the ball. And when he does that, he's super dangerous. And also another thing is Darren always has to be one of the focal points offensively. And I feel like there, there's been a lot of games this year where he hasn't been utilized a lot in games. Like even um, about a few weeks ago when – Florida State played Virginia at the Tucker Center. Darren Green didn't score his first basket until like three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. 
and I didn't even realize that I was at the game. And I didn't even realize that, like, he ended up having a driving layup. And then I look at the box score. He has two points. And I'm like, how in the world does he have two points? Like, he hasn't scored at all in a game. I, and it's crazy to think that I didn't even pay attention to that until after he scored. But if he would have been more utilized offens- offensively throughout the game, and I get it, you know, Virginia was just shooting the lights out in that game. But if you would have had a Darren Green who would have been able to match that energy from three-point range just as well as Virginia was shooting in that game, who knows where that game could have been could have been. I know that they only lost by like five, six points or whatever it was, but having Darren Green Jr. involved in the offense is very important. You know, he's, like I said, he's the best shooter on this team. He is a sniper from three-point range, and especially with this team who already does struggle from the perimeter, like, you have to utilize them to his maximum potential, but besides that, I've been a fan of Darren Green Jr. throughout the season. I know that, you know, I know that it's his last season with the team as, as he's, a, um, I want to say he's a fifth-year senior. So, I love how he's just, you know, he's making the most out of it. And on top of that, he's been a really good vocal leader, in my opinion, especially being being one of the more being one of the veteran um, players on his team. So I've loved Darren Green Jr. and what he's just been able to provide, you know, just just offensively. And the last guy we'll talk about is Jameer Watkins, who is also a transfer as well. Um, and early on in this season. And like I said, like I said earlier, you know, uh, Leonard Hamilton, he's always going to want to play by committee. He wants to bring the best out of all the guys. It's not, it's not necessarily going to be a one-man show, to say the least. But even though that's the case with his team, I still question as far as who could be that guy for Florida State. Who could be that guy you could put the ball in the hands and he can make plays and he can really put the team on his back. And even through our exhibition play, I was still questioning that. But as the season has progressed, it has by far been Jameer Watkins. Jameer Watkins is by far the best player on his team. He leads he leads the team in three categories, points, rebounds, and steals. He has been a jack-of-all-trades on his team, and you have to appreciate what he's been able to do. And that's why I love that he's been getting that love and support. And you even see the NBA draft experts, you know, really start to catch on with Jameer. And they have him – a lot of people have him on their draft boards. I don't know if he's going to decide to head into the NBA draft this year or if he's going to stay, but either way it is, man, Jameer – I'm glad that Jameer has been getting a lot of appreciation. Um, obviously, you know, he's relentless whenever he whenever he's attacking the basket. He has such great athleticism and strength, you know, just being able to absorb contact at the rim, still finish. He's an elite defender from multiple aspects. You know, he's a he's an he's a great he's a great ball stopper. He applies a lot of ball pressure. In my opinion, he's he's the best defender, or not the best, but he's one of the best defenders in the ACC. It is not, it is no question. Like maybe not the best, but definitely has to be top five. When you talk about how he applies tremendous ball pressure, and you talk about even under the basket, like like there's been a lot of there's been a lot of games this year where he's shot blocking at the rim and really showing his presence defensively inside. So Jameer just brings a ton of effort defensively that you just have to appreciate, and what he provides defensively definitely can set the tone for the team. And that's why I've loved what Jameer Rock has brought to the table. Like I said, he's been by far their best player this year. Um, and it's a reason why he won that MVP in the Sunshine Slam tournament. You know, he had really big games against UNLV and against Colorado. So Jameer, Jameer has shown that when the pressure is tight and you need somebody to provide a big play, whether it's on offense or defense, he can be that guy. And it's part of the reason why he leads the team in three categories. And it's part of the reason why he's been a shining player on this player or, or on this team throughout the season. So that was just a little bit of a deep dive with the men's team. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's been a roller coaster throughout the season. Um, I know that they may not be the best team in the ACC because obviously that's that's going to belong to the North Carolina, to the Duke, and just you know to other teams. But I I definitely do think that this team is in that mix though. Like I think it's debatable as far as who is the third best team in the conference because obviously it's those two blue bloods, but nobody else in the conference has really established themselves as the third best team. I mean, I know you have NC State. Uh, Miami has struggled a lot throughout this year. Um, even Virginia, you know, Virginia has had their ups and downs throughout this year as well. And just other teams, Clemson as well. So, you know, there's there's still there's still a question as far as who can be that third best team in the ACC this year. And I think that I think that it's still up for grabs. And I think, you know, as the season closes out for, uh, for Florida State, they could definitely grab that. Um, they have a big matchup on Tuesday against NC State. Um, this is a team that's really physical. They really thrive in transition. 
Um, and even in their half court office, they run their office for DJ Burns. And I think that's 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 gonna be the biggest task right there for the for the bigs is guarding a guy like DJ Burns, who is who has tremendous size. He weighs 275 pounds, so he can be a bulldozer aside. He has tremendous footwork and he's just a great post presence, especially with his little baby hook. So NC State's gonna be a really big matchup for uh, for Florida State. They have to find a way to bounce back. They, I want to say they've lost four of the last five games or something like that. So they they have to find a way to get back on track, especially to end the year and going into uh, going into going into the conference tournament. So NC State is a big one, you know, coming up this Tuesday, and let's see if they can respond and get a big win. Now let's dive into the women's basketball team, and they've they've been fun to watch. Um, I've enjoyed being able to watch this team and their growth. Um, Coming into this season, they were ranked, I believe, top 15 in the country. Um, then at one point, I want to say they did move up to number 11 in the um, in the in the country as well. Um, and I know that it's been a lot of ups and downs for them, and now they're out of the top 25. But if you ask me, they're they're still top 25. I still think that when this team is fully engaged and fully locked in, nobody can really beat this team. I, I want to say nobody, but a lot of teams will have troubles facing this Florida State women's team. Uh, the number one is scoring in the conference at 81 points per game. I know that they rank at the, at the bottom in defense, but this is still a really great defensive team, and they feature the best shot blocker in the conference. So we'll dive into all of that. Um, one thing that stands out to them is just just like the men's as well, but they, they love pushing the ball in transition. And Brooke Wyckoff, who is – Brooke Wyckoff, excuse me, who is one of the best in the business – as far as coaching, she loves to play with that pace and space style to where she loves to push the ball in transition. Uh, she, and, and on top of that, she has a, she has great attackers on her team who knew, who do know how to get to the basket, who are able to feed open shooters. And it's just a style of offense that a lot of teams cannot find a way to to attack and to stop. And Florida State really utilizes that that pace and state to their full to their full advantage. And it's part of the reason why they've been so successful this year. Um, and on top of that, you know, they have a lot of key role players on this team. Um, Carla Villegas is one of the best shooters on this team. You know, she's, she's terrific. She's a terrific spot up shooter. And anytime she catches the ball, anytime she anticipates the pass, she makes the most out of her shots. Um, Amaya Bonner, who is also a good shooter as well, but people also have to understand that she's a really good defensive player as well. You know, she's really good at getting into passing lane. She's really good at utilizing her size and disrupting and, and just being able to disrupt t- things for, uh, for, uh, for opposing teams and being able to also score inside as well. Um, Snoop Turnage has been really huge, especially being inserted into that starting lineup. Um, and that's one thing that I'm going to say, man. Um, so Snoop didn't get her first start until, uh, until at the beginning of conference play, when Florida State played at Clemson. And even coming off the bench, she provided a huge spark for the team. Um, being able to be great defensively, uh, she can knock down shots as well when she is in rhythm as well. And that's one thing about Snoop as well, because I feel like there's also times where where she does catches the ball and she kind of second guesses herself thinking, okay, should I shoot or should I pass it? And when she takes those extra few seconds to figure out what she wants to do. It takes her all out of rhythm and all out of whack. But whenever she does catches the ball and she, if she just lets it fly, that's when she's at her best offensively. I know that she doesn't provide big scoring numbers offensively, but whenever she gets that opportunity, she can knock down shots on occasion. And then on top of that, you know, she has a lot of length, um, you know, being, being on defense. And that's why I feel like her being in the starting, her being in the starting line, especially playing next to Michaela Timpson, and the front court is very important because those are two players who can disrupt um, opposing teams' offenses with their size and just being able to force turnovers, being able to uh, alter shots and block shots. So Snoop has been a very big, valuable asset to this team, especially once she has been inserted into the starting lineup. And then other players as well um, who are who have been big in the supporting cast have been Alexis Tucker, who was a transfer, and then, of course, Akaya White, who was the backup big. So, you know, I know that we, we love to show a lot of love to the star players, but – this team is not as successful without their supporting cast, and they've played a huge role in this team throughout the season as well. Now, let's dive into some of the important starters on this team because they've they've been just sensational throughout this entire season. First, I'll start with the starting point guard, which is Omaria Gordon. Um, standing at 5'4", Omaria just plays with a lot of heart and a lot of tenacity, and she's somebody that this team definitely appreciates, you know, her presence has been big, especially offensively. 
Um, just the thing about Mario is that it's almost like I said earlier with Josh Nickelberry. You know, when a team when the team gets into a funk, you could put the ball in their hands, and they just seem they, they just seem to knock down big shots that can bring the team back some momentum. And Amaria has definitely done that. You know, she has that ability to knock down three point shots. She ha- she also has that ability to be able to attack the driving lanes and just being able to score inside. So she's been just really good, and she shoots the ball really efficient as well. So offensively, she's been a huge plus for the team. Then on top of that, defensively, she's really good too. And she's a really good, she really good, she really does a good job at applying ball pressure. Um, and on top of that, you know, I know like a lot of people they may look at her as a mismatch, but she does not back down to any challenge. Um, I recall a game that Florida State played against Virginia Tech at the Tugger Center, and there was a mismatch with with Omaria guarding uh, Elizabeth Kitley on the block. And for those who know, Elizabeth Kitley is known as one of the best scorers in the conference. And give credit to Omaria for not giving up. She didn't, she did not, did not, or she did not allow that, uh, that entry pass. And she was just really to, to just be able to just disrupt things, man. And Omaria is a, a dog. Omaria is just a dog. And, and also another thing too, is that she's a very underrated rebounder. Like I was watching the game against Notre Dame. Actually, I was at the game against Notre Dame. And I just saw her just sky high for for boards, and I was like, man, like she she really gets after it. And it's not like the ball misses and then it just comes her way and then she just grabs it. Like no, like she's really underneath the basket, like skying high for these for these rebounds. And that's something that you also have to appreciate as well with Omaria. So Omaria has just been really good. You know, as a junior, she's continued to grow with this Florida State team under Coach Brooke Wyckoff and. She's been a very she's been a very important asset. And you know, I think her veteran presence is gonna be big in conference play and in the NCAA tournament. She already has that experience, you know, especially last year, you know, playing with them in um, in the tournament. They ended up losing to Wake Forest in the conference tournament, then ended up losing to Georgia in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So she already has that experience of what of what it takes to play in a high atmosphere. And I think that now moving forward, she's gonna be able to take that experience and apply it to what's in store this year and, and then and then of course you know come even better so i'm excited for mario man you know i'm i'm really i'm a really big fan of her and like i said even though she is even though she is the smallest player on the floor it definitely doesn't show with you know with the way that she gets after it on both ends of the floor now let's talk about michaela timpson kk timpson for those who may know her as uh this has been a great year for her um she's she's bound to make history um she currently has 14 double doubles on the season. Um, I think the record is Natasha Howard, who has 15. So she could be on pace. I mean, there, there is still two games left in the regular season. So she could be on pace to break that record in those next few games against Louisville and against Clemson, I want to say. Um, and on top of that, like I mentioned earlier, she's leading the league or, it's, yeah, leading the conference in block shots. And her defensive versatility has been on full display all season long. Um, of course, you know, being a great rim protector, but also being able to switch and being able to step out of the paint and being able to hold her own against smaller defenders. She has tremendous footwork. You know, she has she has a tremendous high IQ for the game. She understands that she's aware of everything that goes on on the floor. She's just a great all-around player. And then offensively as well, she has elevated to just different heights. I mean, she's always been a pretty good low post scorer, but just this year, I feel like she's taken it to another level just being able to score, you know, with her back to the basket, just being able to score with on face-ups, you know, she could turn on either shoulder and still finish. And on top of that, you know, anytime, like, one of the players, whether it's Tanaya Lazen or Sarah Bajetti, like, whenever they drop, she anticipates that pass. And that's one thing that I don't know people pay attention to is there's there's this connection with with Michaela Timpson and Tanaya Lazen. And there's been many plays where Tanaya's looking to drive and then the help defender comes over to slow her down from driving. And then Tanaya somehow finds the way to feed KK inside, and that that leads to just an easy point. That that leads to just an easy easy opportunity inside. So KK, it seems like she's also aware of being in the right being in the right place at the right time. She shoots a very high percentage, and that's just based off of taking high percentage shots, man. So she's one of the she's one of the like top players in the country to lead or be like one of the lead, one of the country leaders in in double doubles and block shots and in rebounds. It's just been a sensational all-around season for KK Tipson, man. And I recently just wrote an article on her for Chop Chat, so please make sure to go check that out. But this year has been very magic for her, and she can only elevate her game to even further heights as a senior, you know, going into next season. 
Sarah Bajetti, the fifth year senior. I'm a huge fan of Sarah Bajetti. And I have just tried to appreciate the moment with this being her last season with the program. And I've just wanted to really appreciate, just enjoy this last season of her as a Florida State Seminole. And she's making sure to leave this program on a high note with her, with what she's been able to provide on both ends of the floor. We all know that defensively, she is, if you ask me, one of the best perimeter defenders in the country, not just in the ACC, but in the country. She applies tremendous pressure. She doesn't mind being physical. She's super quick. She's active with her hands. She does a lot of disruption guarding a lot of the primary ball handlers and a lot of the teams, uh, a lot of the opposing teams' best scores. Um, against Notre Dame, Hannah Hidalgo shot 7 to 25 from the field. And that's all thanks in part to Sarah Bajetti and just the physicality that she was just able to provide guarding one of the best point guards in the country. And then on offense, um, Sarah, Sarah can be, she can be streaky at times. You know, she can have her, she can have games where she's shooting the ball at a high percentage and then she can have games where she's not shooting the ball at the best percentage. Uh, but the one thing that I love about her is that she never, she never loses her attack mentality. She plays at really just one speed and just one mindset. And that's just to attack at all 40 minutes of the game. So where there's her pushing the ball in transition and trying to find an easy opportunity inside or her just being a spot of shooter, she finds a way to always bring some type of effort to offense. And one thing that I've noticed with Sarah Bajetti is, and this is why I love when she's when she's just engaged in the offense early and they're finding opportunities for her to score early in that first quarter because whenever she's really being one of the leading factors on offense early in the game, it gives her tremendous confidence and it just allows her to just continue to play with that same mindset throughout the throughout the entire game. Like for instance, like her best game of the season was against uh, Virginia Tech when she scored 31 points. She scored 14 points in that opening quarter, and even even when Virginia Tech went on a good second second quarter run to bring them to bring themselves back into the game, and they even had some momentum in the, in the third quarter as well. But Sarah Bajetti never stopped being in attack mode, and she closed that fourth quarter off on a high note. I remember early in that fourth quarter, she had a huge three coming off of a stagger screen and just being able to catch the ball on the left wing. And then just being able to get a good defensive play on believe I believe she was going to Georgia Amor on this possession late down the stretch. So Sarah is Sarah's been very, very important to the team, not even just throughout the season, but throughout her whole Florida State career. So that's why even you know, going into next year, I wonder who who can replace her. Because she just brings so many different attributes to this team that this team is going to miss whenever she does, whenever her whenever her uh, college career is over. And transferring to Florida State after playing one season at Arizona State, was the best thing for her. And she's just been able to shine tremendously on both ends of the floor. So like I said, I am a huge Sarah Bajetti fan. Um, and I've just tried to just learn to appreciate what she's just been able to do throughout this last season because whenever she's gone, man, I think that's just there's just there's gonna be a little part of me that's just so sad to see her go, man. And I'm sure that she and I'm sure that she will as well because she loves being a part of this team. She loves playing with her teammates and you know I'm sure everybody else appreciates what she brings to the table just as much as I do. And the last player that we have to talk about, the star of all stars, excuse me, the superstar of all superstars, Tania Latson, sophomore sensation, double zero. Um, I'm just going to say here, and if you follow me on Twitter or X, you see me make these tweets on several occasions. Tania Latson is one of the best scorers in the country. And I feel like, a lot of people, some people are catching on, but I think there's still a lot of people that don't understand how good she is offensively. Last year, as a freshman, she was by far the, the best freshman in the country, and it wasn't close. And this year, she's been able to capitalize off of that. And I think she I think she came into the season with a little bit of motivation because she wasn't able to play last year in the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament, which I mentioned earlier, Florida State lost both games, so... I think that was on the back of her mind going into her sophomore year. And my goodness, she has just been great on offense throughout this entire season. Not even just like this entire season, but even in conference play. Like the first three games, she dropped 30 plus points against Georgia Tech, against Wake Forest, and against NC State. So she came into conference play in attack mode, and it really hasn't necessarily stopped from here on out. 
Uh, Tanaya, we already know how good she is at attacking the basket. And it's just the way that she's able to get to the basket and just the way that she's able to absorb contact and just maneuver her body as far as scoring inside. Like, she's she's by far one of the best finishers in the country by far. And just with her ability to put pressure on the defense and just being able to take those high percentage shots has just been really incredible. But also people don't understand as well, because I know that she doesn't take a lot of outside shots, but she's a really good shooter. And on top of that, whenever she wants to, she can be a good mid-range scorer, especially coming off of a lot of ball streaks and just being able to pull up in the mid-range. So those are those are different attributes that she provides. And that's, and that's why I feel like a lot of defenses don't really understand how to really defend her because you want to slow down her drives. You want to you want to stop those driving lanes from her from her being able to attack. But she also shows that hey, while you're while you're necessarily focused on me on me you know attacking the basket, I can also step outside and I can also pull up from the perimeter. So Tanaya is just such a gifted all around scorer, and people just have to understand that she's only a sophomore. So she has two more years, or potentially maybe three. You know, if she wants, if she does want to stay an extra year. So she she has a lot more time to continue to develop, man. And like I said, Tanaya has just been sensational all season long for them. Uh, she's been the driving force offensively for that team. And just her energy and what she just brings to the table, not even just on offense, but on defense as well, because she's she's also been really good defensively too. But just her presence, you know, throughout the season has been really huge for, uh, has been really, really huge for, uh, for Fuller State. And it's, it's no question that she deserves to be, in that conversation as far as ACC player of the year. I know there's been a lot of great ACC players. Like I mentioned, Hannah Hidalgo, um, Daisha Fair. I'm sure Liz Kaylee will be in that conversation again. Uh, I'm trying to think of other players. Maybe Saniya Rivers from NC State. She may be in that conversation too. So there's a – like the ACC as a whole throughout women's basketball has been great, even from like from the from the best team in the conference to the worst team in the conference. Like this this team – or excuse me, this this conference has been huge throughout this season. So even though there's a lot of great teams and a lot of great players within this conference, Tania Lassen has to be in a conversation as ACC player of the year. If you ask me, I'm giving it to her all day, but I know that, you know, like I said, there's other players who have been really huge for the teams as well. But when you talk about some of the best players in the ACC, you got to talk about Tania Lassen because she's definitely been one of the huge X factors in the conference. So as we close out this segment on the women's team, the question is, what's next? Um, we're closing out the regular season. We're going into conference tournament. And then the NCAA tournament is like right right around the corner after that. So like I mentioned before, you know, they lost the game at the conference tournament and they lost the game in the NCAA tournament. But you also got to understand that tonight, last of us not there for both of those games. So now they have the superstar back. And now they, they, they want to prove something. They want to redeem themselves. And I'm sure Brooke Wyckoff has continued to preach that, you know, throughout the locker room. And I'm sure that she has reminded them of what took place last year. If she hasn't yet, then she definitely will, you know, as as we inch closer to the end of the regular season. But this is still a team that can be scary in March. This is a team that they they tend to they tend to really find a way to overcome adversity and still be able to play at a high level. Like, for instance, like they had some huge losses to teams like early in the season to UCLA, to Stanford. But even though those games may have been decided by double by double digits, there was still a certain fight in this team that they didn't want to give up. Like, even, for instance, like, against UCLA, I think they lost that game, but, like, I, I'm not even going to say how much they lost because I don't know exactly off the, off the top of my head. But there was still a little bit of some fight and some tenacity in this team that allowed them to not get – or, like, allowed them to not lose as bad as they could have. Like, especially early in that game against UCLA, like, they, they played horribly in that first quarter. But somehow, some way, they found their ways – they found they found their way back into the game. And that's just really been, like, the formula for Fuller State is just finding a way to overcome adversity and just being able to still play at a high level. And like I say, you know, the same thing with the men's teams. This team has definitely had their ups and downs throughout this season. Um, like I say, you know, they were, they were a ranked team. And one thing that I'll say is that when they had that three-game losing streak to Syracuse, to Virginia, and to Duke, I think that's what really put them at, you know, like taking, like really took them out of the top 25. And now, now we see them trying to slowly uh, crawl their way back. They have been a lot better since that, since that three-game losing streak because when they when they went to Cameron Indoor Stadium and played against Duke, that that may have been the worst loss in Florida State history. Maybe not Florida State history, but. Definitely within like the last like maybe so many years, like they they got blown out by forty two points, which was just crazy. 
if they didn't even crack 50 on the board. So games like that, you know, you have to look at yourselves. You have to try to find a way to reel yourself back into things. And luckily, they've been able to bounce back ever since. I mean, they, they've had some losses here and there. Like, you know, they lost a, they lost a Nordic game a couple of weeks ago. But this team has just continued to find a way to just keep getting better and just continue to improve as a unit. So coming in March, coming into conference play and then, of course, or conference tournament and then going into in, going into the NCAA tournament, this is a team that is going to play at their best. This is a team that could, can potentially upset a lot of a lot of the top contenders in the country. So that's just a little glimpse on the Florida State women's basketball team. It's been fun watching them as a whole. And I'm excited to see what's next for them moving forward, man. But um, last last topic that I want to discuss, uh, this is my this is my small segment. Um, it's titled Noel as a Pro. So this is just me highlighting a lot of the former Florida State players, whether it's men or women's basketball that are now playing at the professional level who may have shined. And I want to talk about Malik Beasley for a second, you know, other Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA. Um, the NBA just came back from All-Star Weekend. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks went out to Minnesota to face the Timberwolves, and Malik Beasley was one of the shining factors. He had 14 points. He scored all 14 points in the third quarter. He shot 4-9 from three-point land. And, you know, just his, con- just his contribution playing next to guys like Damian Lillard and Ayatis Antetokounmpo has been really important this year, so... Kudos to Malik Beasley, man. You know, like like I said, you know, he was more, one of the more important factors in Florida State a couple years back. And to see him flourish and just be able to transition his game from college, college to the professional level has been really, really impressive, man. But that wraps up the first episode of this new podcast, Believe in FSU Basketball. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Um, I'm excited to get this thing, you know, off the ground. Um, first and foremost, shout out to Believe Network for giving me this opportunity and for understanding how passionate I am about Florida State basketball, like both both the men and women's team. And I'm excited to just continue to do this myself and also bring on a lot of good guests as well. You know, I have a lot of guests that I have on the table that will be coming on in the new in the new future. For, so definitely look out for that. But make sure to follow me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, because I know that there's a lot of people that still call it Twitter. And then there's some people that call it X. But make sure to follow me at Nick Andre ATR. You know, you'll see a lot of basketball content, not even just for Florida State, but also for other basketball, whether it's NBA, WNBA, college men, college women, and just everything as a whole. So make sure to follow me on there. Um, And once again, thank you guys for listening in, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.